Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. So let's look at what the Bible has to say about our attitude toward change. John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, as we look at our attitude toward change. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, the thinking of that day, I mean, that's a loaded question. Who sinned? Here's this blind guy, blind from birth. Well, who is God punishing, see? Is God punishing him for some sin he would commit down the road of his life? Or is God punishing his mom and dad for some sin they committed? You, you, you got to know this, that, that, that illness is never punishment for a believer. I hope you understand that. When you get sick or hurt, it's not punishment. It's not punishment for a believer. See, once in a while, I think it's a wake-up call. Hey, my child, you're not thinking about me a whole lot. And that drives us to prayer. But it's, it's a discipline. And see, that would make it a discipline, not punishment. And there's a, a, great, there's a world of difference between, different, between discipline and punishment. If you are in Christ, you are never, ever punished. Never. You are disciplined. And discipline is offered in love, right? Punishment is offered in anger, see? And so God will use sickness to discipline us. Now, they ask Who's God getting, this guy or his parents? And Jesus said, and I let, and he, and here, you know, he said, neither. He said, this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And that tells me that God's going to allow certain turmoils in your life so that as he delivers you from them, you are going to glorify him and other people are going to glorify him as he delivers you and takes you through this. And that gives us a whole new insight on suffering. And you're suffering, whatever it is, could be for the glory of God as he delivers you. Because you're going to say, when you go through that, you're, when you go through that, baby, you're going to say, hey, man, what a great God I have, see. He's going to get a whole bunch of glory from you, see. So most of you guys know what he did. Jesus spit in the dirt. He made some sticky mud. He put it on the blind man's eyes. And by the way, I see this blind man, this guy blind from birth, about 20 to 35 years old, kind of a young guy, because his mom and dad come into the picture as we go on in this story. And then Jesus go, told him to go walk in the pool of Siloam, wash in the pool of Siloam. Verse 6, John 9, having said this, he spit in the ground, made some mud with his saliva, put it in the guy's eyes, and he told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went washed, and he came home seeing. So he puts mud in the guy's eyes. He tells him, wash it off. Friends lead him to the pool. What's this guy feeling? I got to get into this. What's this guy feeling? He knows something about Jesus. He's the guy who can make sick people well. He's the guy who does things nobody else can do. So he's walking to this pool. Jesus put this mud in his eyes, and he is expectant, okay? I think his heart's pounding a little bit, okay? And, he's, and, and then he, he washes it off. Can, can, can you put yourself into that moment? He says, stoops down at the pool, puts that water in his eyes and washes it off. And he sees for the first time in his life. I, I can't even imagine. I can't, I, it, it's by me what he's seeing, what this guy's thinking. Oh, so that's what a nose looks like. That's what eyes look like. You have the most beautiful eyes. He saw, he saw a rock. 
that's beautiful. He saw locusts, which frightened me. I hate bugs. What is that beautiful creature on the ground? Now, his neighbors, verse 8, and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some said, yeah. Others said, no, he only looks like him. See, they couldn't accept a miracle like this. But he himself insisted on the man. Now, now look at verse 10, John 9. This bugs me. How then were your eyes opened? Look at this. Strong, strong verb in the Greek. They, see that word in the, in the NIV Bible? They demanded. They demanded. They demanded. See, these were very legalistic followers of the Pharisee. How were your eyes opened? They demanded by this Jesus who healed you on the Sabbath day. Verse 13, they, these legalistic people, brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. And now the day in which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. Well, he, he put mud in my eyes, this guy did, this man replied, and I washed and now I see. Now look at verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Jesus did this on the Sabbath, and Jews didn't allow any work on the Sabbath, even acts of mercy, which was their own regulation that wasn't God's regulation. So in verse 16, they say, he can't be from God. If he were from God, he would abide by our man-made regulations. And so now they turn to the guy again. They say, come on, tell us you're a liar. <laughs> verse 17. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. I mean, there's, there, there, there's, there's some strong talk there. And the man replied he, re, replied, he must be a prophet, see. Now look at verse 18. I mean, you got all the evidence right in front of him. And it says in verse 18, the Jews, the, the religious Jews, still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one who was born blind? How is it that he can see? You know what I think they're saying? I think they're saying, tell us this whole deal is a hoax, that he wasn't born blind. And they say, we know he was born blind, but how he sees, ask him. Now that is very interesting because anyone who even intimated that they followed Jesus or listened to Jesus, the Pharisees and chief priests said, you're out of the synagogue. Man, you're out on your ear. And that would be verse 22 of John 9. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. Because already the Jews had declared that anyone who acknowledged that Christ with Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And that's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. See, if they got thrown out of the synagogue, you were like a social outcast. It meant you couldn't buy or sell in the marketplace. You were like a Gentile. Seriously, to the Jew, you would be like a Gentile. They wouldn't buy, they, they, they wouldn't buy your product. Uh, you, you, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't allow you to sell your product. Um, it meant your, all, your social, all your social contacts would be cut off. I mean, you were just out socially if you were out of the synagogue. And so they said, well, we know he was born blind. We can't lie about that. But how he was healed, we're not going to give any credit to this Jesus. You ask him, see. And so the Pharisees go back to the blind man who was healed one more time. 
I mean, this is getting a little bit ridiculous, okay? Verse 24, the second time they summoned the man. I mean, all the evidence is right in front of him. You know what? I deal with a number of unbelievers, and you can show these unbelievers rational arguments right there that Jesus is the Christ. And you can show them all the evidence in the world, but when they make up their minds not to believe, they're not going to believe. And that's exactly what's going on here. So a second time they summoned this man who had been born blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. That doesn't mean you stop talking to him. Don't stop talking to these people and telling them about Christ. Anyway, we know this man is a sinner. Why? Because he healed on the Sabbath. Now look what the guy replied, verse 25. This is one of the best passages in the New Testament. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know I was blind, and now I see. You want to break down the walls that people built against Jesus Christ and Christianity? Then you sacrifice for them, because all the walls are breaking down on this guy. He says, I have, he says, you call him what you want, man. You, you say anything you want about him, but this I know. I was blind, and now I can see. Wow. Say what you want about him. Listen, you bless people, you sacrifice for them at your own expense, you somehow improve their life. That speaks volumes. You need to ask yourself in your own life, is there anyone in your own life who can say, because you sacrificed something for me, because you invested so much in me, my life has changed, my life is better. Can, can, can anybody say that about you? Now, look, at, look at the sarcasm in verse 26 and 27. They asked him, um, verse 26, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27. He answered, I told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you, why do you want to hear it again? Now look at this. Do you want to become his disciple too? He is defending Jesus. Now get this dialogue beginning in verse 28. Then they hurled insults at him. They said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are are disciples of Moses. And we know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this dude, we don't even know where he comes from. Get this. Verse 30. The man answered. Now, that's remarkable. <laughs> you don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, and you just called this guy a sinner. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Now, nobody has ever opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they couldn't argue with that logic. To this they replied, you were seeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? See that? And they threw him out of the synagogue. I got a picture of this guy. They just, I think they maybe picked him up by his scruff of his pants and his shirt and out you go. You're not part of our fellowship anymore. Now, I guess this guy had so many mixed emotions. I mean, he's just looking all around at the beauty he sees. I mean, he just got his sight back, but he says, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I'm out of the synagogue, see? Well, who should walk by at that moment? <laughs> Verse 35, Jesus heard that, he, that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, 
Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you've now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The man crossed the line from death to life. Listen, here's, he had no idea where his life would go from here. But now he had everything. In Jesus Christ, he had everything. Jesus Christ was all he needed. See, Jesus was sufficient. Jesus was enough. What an attitude to face the rest of your life. He's sufficient. He's enough. This series of messages I call the power of attitude. How you look or think about a person or circumstance determines how you're going to live it out. Yours and my attitude toward change. Our attitude toward change is going to determine how we handle change. And and first of all, know this, not all change is good. You want to change as the Spirit of God leads you. Holy Spirit-led change is good, okay? That is good. Those are changes God himself wants us to make. I see the Pharisees and religious leaders in this Word of God in John 9, 9 so adverse to change. It was all attitude. Uh, They were so seeped in their law, their tradition, they were literally offended when Jesus showed mercy on the Sabbath. Some Pharisees said, verse 16 of John 9, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Their attitude toward change was, we got it right. See, they saw change as a negative, see. And here's the tragic thing. Because they were saying, we, 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 we got it right. See, we got it right. We don't need to change. Our way to heaven is we got these laws that we made, not God. But as long as we abide by our rules, somehow they thought God owed them heaven. The tragic thing is it was their attitude toward change, and it was damning. And God had so much for these guys. The Lord had so much. And because of their attitude toward changing anything, they missed God's best. And when your attitude toward God-led change, Holy Spirit-led change is that, you're going to miss God's best. They talked to the man. How'd you receive your sight? This man, Jesus, put mud in my eye. The evidence was right there, and they wouldn't accept the evidence, man. Right in front of him. So they go to the guy's parents. Come on, tell us. This whole thing is a setup to make Jesus look good, right? It's all staged. You're trying to make Jesus look good. He was never really blind. I I mean, this is ridiculous. The guy's there begging every day for how many years? He was never really blind, was he? It's our son, and he was born blind. And now they're frustrated. And all they had to do is think, maybe we have it wrong. That's all they had to do. Maybe we need to change our thinking. That's all they had to do. Anybody see yourself in here? People ever try and tell you you need to change? You know, I thought of when I wrote this, I thought of, I thought of oh, oh, over the years in ministry, how many guys have called me? Guys, you know, and this works both ways, husbands and wives. I'm just thinking about the guys who called me now because their wife said to them, um, this marriage is not good. There have to be some changes made. And the guy thinks, I don't need to change. And one day he comes home and she is gone. And he calls me up. And you know what they all say? I got to get right with God. They do. I'm starting to come to church. 
would you talk to my wife? So you have to ask yourself why they let it get to that point. I don't need to change. That's your attitude. And see, the deal is you have something so good, something so precious, and you are losing it because you won't change. I mean, you write your own story here, okay? Or there is something so good for you out there that God has for you, and you're missing it. Or you're thinking, I don't need it. It's your attitude toward change. Well, let me ask you this. Do you listen to people? Not just their words, because you can listen to people and you can listen to their words, but do you listen to their heart? I have a hard time with that. And I'm training myself. I've got to pray about that. That's a discipline. Listen to their heart. These people love you. They love the Lord. They can see where you're going. You're messing up your life, and you're messing up their life, and some changes would make a big difference in their lives. And they've been praying about this and working up the, working up the nerve to talk to you about it. And maybe you're a Romans 12:3 person. You don't want to be a Romans 12, 3 person, for Paul says, here the Apostle Paul says, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. That's not in your memory work for this week, but memorize it. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. So ask yourself, do I think I know it all? Is that my attitude or am I teachable? See, I look at these Pharisees. In John 9, and these Pharisees were unteachable. They didn't need to change. They had their law. They had position. They had control. See, they had no idea there was something better out there by belonging to Jesus. And the evidence was right there. And a guy who an hour earlier was blind before Jesus came into his life. Now, one more question. Because I asked myself these same questions. I preach it myself first. You say you are a believer, if you are a believer, then the Holy Spirit is in you. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, the Holy Spirit is in you, transforming you. The Spirit transforms you. If you're a believer, the Spirit's in you, transforming you from one level of glory, says the Word of God, or Christ-likeness, to another. That's the Spirit's doing in you. And so you got to ask, are you sensitive to the Holy Spirit? That's the question. Listen, you get a sense in you. If you're a believer, the Spirit's in you, and he's doing this, and you get a sense in you, you know, maybe this is from God, and I should act on this. You got that sense. See, at times when I have a decision to make, or when I really want God's direction, I pray about it, and this in the mornings mostly, and once in a while I get this sense from the Spirit, show me you're serious. Fast your lunch. Don't eat lunch. And I tell myself, man, if I don't eat, I'll lose energy. And I won't accomplish anything today. And I always eat lunch. And the Spirit says, change. He's leading you that direction. He says, show me you're serious about this. You want my direction? Show me you're serious. Fast your lunch. Are we sensitive to the Spirit's leading? And maybe the Spirit restraining us, don't go there. See, this is about our attitude, see? our attitude towards spirit-led change. And when you think about it, if you're resisting, the real deal is you don't want to change. Ooh, and we're pointing all those fingers back at the Pharisees, right? See? You say, I'm right. I've done it this way for years. It's who I am. You know what? I, I've said that so now. Wait a minute. This is who I am. It's just who I am. That is such a lame crutch. And I've said it so many times. 
such nonsense and your life could be so much better. How do we change? Attitude is everything. Here's what you got to tell yourself. I can change. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is where it all begins. See, this is the good part. You got to tell yourself, I can change. And you got to be a 1 Corinthians 6, 19 Christian. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? What did that just say? The Holy Spirit's in you. Okay, you've received it from God the Father. He's in you for a purpose. And in context, as you read the whole chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, Paul talking to people in the Corinthian church who are sexually immoral, and he's telling them by the power of God, you can be sexually pure. But you can apply that to your life across the board. you got to tell yourself, whatever it is you want to change, I can do this. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God lives in me. you got to think like that. See, it's attitude. It's right here in God's Word, which is truth. He wants me to be like Jesus Christ. He's there with His grace. He's there with His empowerment. What is grace? The very narrow definition of grace is undeserved mercy. The broader definition is God's empowerment. For every circumstance in life, there is grace for everything, see? And you need to tell yourself, I, there is grace. I need to change, and there is grace, see? And you believe what Scripture says. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, Paul said to the Corinthian Christians. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Well, that's easier said than done. That's like a doctor saying, don't worry. Creating too much tension, too much stress. It's ridiculous. But he tells you how to do it. Verse 19, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So how do you flee sexual immorality or whatever it is? How do you accomplish this? By the Spirit of God in you, see? That's step one, step two. You pray sincerely for that grace. Prayer is everything. You pray on the spot. Here it comes, Father. I'm about to face this, this area where I need to change. I need to be different. Help me right here. You pray on the spot. Here comes the moment of change where you have to face this deal and you have to resist this deal. You got to resist this deal, see? Or you got to do something different and you say, here it is right here. And man, you got to learn. And I listen, I am a living testimony to this. You got to learn. You pray right here on the spot, man. And the Spirit's going to give you the grace to do what you need to do, okay? You, 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 you say, here goes. I'm not going to react in anger. I'm going to resist this. Or I'm going to be so aware of this. I will not give in to this. And then you must believe by the Spirit you can do this. And then the next thing you do is you make a move, man. You do it. You make a move on it. Don't always say, I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to make this change. I need to do this. You do it. Okay, number one, you believe you can do it. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Number two, here's the moment. You, you just, God, I need this. I just need your strength. And then number three, you do it. You move on it and understand your weakness and his strength. Here I go by the power of God, see. Here's the next thing you do, and you do this on a daily basis. I, I can't emphasize this enough. You keep your faith strong by looking at God's word every day to remind yourself of God's will and his empowering grace. Every day, you, you listen, this is a daily, 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 daily thing. You will never change without God's word. Here's what I, you know, you, you know the areas of your life where you have to change. Okay, and here's time you could give to the word, and you're saying to yourself, I want to get on with my day. Okay, here's how you got to think. Just please think like this. Here's time that you could give to the word. You want to change, and, and you're saying, you're saying, I got to get on with my day. Lots to do. Then you think, okay. I don't want to change. 
I will never change apart from the power of the word. I'm not really serious about change. I say it, I pray it, but I don't really want to do it because I'm not willing to invest myself in the word. Then just tell yourself, I'm not going to change. And I don't want to change, really. Because I want to tell you something, folks. There will be no change in your life apart from the word of God. There's no changes apart from the word. Here's another way you change. There's people in your life that you love. And you're messing up their lives. And they ask you, they plead with you to change. They want you to change, so want to change. Why? So you can enrich their lives. These are people God brought into your life. You listen to them. They want you to change. You are screwing my life up royally. If you would change, I would be so blessed. So want to change for them. God brought them into your life. Does that make sense? How do you change? I said this a few minutes ago. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, man. He'll, he'll move in your heart, and he'll let you know how you need to change. He will tell you, and you tell yourself, this is from the Holy Spirit. This is right. I need to do this and not ignore it. Don't ignore the Spirit, because you know what? 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says you can quench the Spirit. You know what's going to happen? If you, if, if, if you know the Spirit's leading you, and you act against him, the Spirit will say, okay, you want that? You got it. When the Spirit talks to you, man, you move on it. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.